I still remember sitting in my grandfather's chair in his bedroom opposite a giant wooden wardrobe reading The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Hello, I'm Paul Van Leeshout. Welcome to In Conversation. Remember those stories your parents used to read to you while they tucked you into bed for the night? What was your favourite? Mine was a longer story, The Magic Faraway Tree. But there are many other shorter stories that I still remember quite fondly. And Andy Griffiths still makes me laugh to this day. The stories told to us as children have a great impact. We carry them through our adulthood. My guest today is an Australian children's book author, Rowan Casley. She's based in Frio and published by Penguin Books. Her work includes the best-selling Aussie Bites and Nibbles series. I'm sure more than a few of us have thought about writing a children's book in the past, but as we'll hear, it's not as easy as we'd like to think it is. Rowan, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Paul. It's lovely to be here. If you weren't a writer... What would your life look like? So if I wasn't a writer, I was going to be an astronaut, love a bit of quantum physics. My dad wanted me to be a teacher. He was a, an educator, so he teaching and schools have, have always been a big part of my life. Uh, and I tried teaching. Very stressful job. You do do some teaching, don't you? Workshops I do, and that. I do, yes. Um, I teach teachers how to teach children to write yeah. now. It means I can walk into a classroom, have big fun time, because my message to children is you've got to be enjoying yourself if you're going to be creative. Mm. And that's my message to teachers as well. How happy are you as a children's writer? <gasps> oh, best job in the world. Mm. Love it. It keeps me sane. Besides the astronaut thing, it was my childhood dream because when I was young, I'm a middle child, and I wanted my voice to be heard. And I wanted to make a difference. And writing for children ticks both those boxes. And your voice is heard from multiple different voices in itself across children's bedrooms and in houses around Australia. What a lovely thought that is. Jumping back to New Zealand, where you grew up, you seem to be at the crux of two different worlds. Glorious beaches and magical rainforests. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. In New Zealand, you're never more than half an hour away from the ocean, mm. no matter where you go. So everybody in New Zealand lives beside the sea. And my dad, he was an ocean man. And as a, a middle child, one of three daughters, he very much wanted a son. So mm. I put my hand up to do all of the boy things and dad and I went fishing together and he taught me how to gut a fish and every summer holidays we went to the beach, stayed in a caravan by the sea. It's a great childhood. It's almost a picture book story in itself, isn't it? Well, there is a picture book to go with it. Funny you should say that. <laughs> it's called Auntie Ellie's Beach House and it's about growing up in New Zealand and it's been part of my journey to figure out where I belong because of course I left New Zealand, came to live in Australia. Mm. Recent years I've been trying to figure out who I am and where I belong so writing about my childhood in New Zealand has been part of that journey. What was it that brought you here from New Zealand? Okay, my Australian husband. We met working behind bars in Christchurch in New Zealand. 
Then we wanted to jump up the hospitality ladder quite rapidly, mm. so we applied for jobs, running a roadhouse in the middle of nowhere. It was Balladonia Roadhouse on the air highway. <laughs> <laughs> what an experience. <laughs> they didn't tell us at the interview that we would be not only the assistant managers, we would also be the volunteer ambulance drivers at the age of 23 and 24. That's a skill set in itself. You now have a son... Jack is 17 now. Yeah. He and I went to listen to Tim Winton recently. He's a lover of Tim Winton's writing and he just won the Literature Prize at his school. So Fantastic. I'm a proud mum. Do you think he's going to go down the road of becoming a writer? Oh, his first story was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I, own, I can only dream, Paul. Do you miss New Zealand? I do. I think all migrants, no matter where they come from, have strong ties to the country they were born in. I wrote a series of, of Aussie nibbles, which are first chapter books for children. All of them were set by the sea. They could have worked in both countries. So that was a very powerful influence on my writing at that point. But in recent years, my, um, my link to New Zealand has been more the figuring out where I belong thing. So it has definitely shaped what I choose to write about. And I've been writing about place. It's funny you mention place because you mentioned Tim Winton a few moments ago and place and location is such an important part of his identity and it obviously is for you too. Where do you belong? Tim Winton is my idol. I love how he evokes Western Australia, stuck between the desert and the deep blue sea. And I am no Tim Winton and I don't claim to be, but I'm going to tell you what I really hope I can do. I'm trying really hard to write Western Australia for children. I'm doing that because I met an Aboriginal man called Buri Pryor some years ago. I was very homesick when I spoke to Buri on that occasion and I said to him, Buri, how do I make Australia feel like home? And Buri told me you have to get to know the land and its people. And that stayed with me. I heard a man talking on the radio. Uh, he was a Noongar man and his name is Phil Wally Stack. And Phil was talking about belonging to country. And I had recently been up to Columbaroo. While I was up there, I went to some remote communities. And I took huge boxes of books mm. on a very small plane. The librarian and I gave these books to the children. And up in Columbaroo, I watched the children unpacking the books. And I saw their faces. Mm. And a couple of stories were interesting to them. There are a couple of Dreamtime stories. These are Aboriginal kids, predominantly, I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. But there wasn't a single book in any of those boxes that had modern-day Aboriginal kids in it. Mm. And I left that place thinking, I need to write a story that's got Aboriginal kids in it. And I met Phil... And I told him about my experience in Columbaroo and what I wanted to do. And I brought to the table my contacts in the children's book industry. Phil bought his knowledge of country, his beautiful way with words. And between the two of us, we wrote a story about belonging to country. And many would say that that's an odd thing for a Kiwi migrant to think she has a right to do. But my experience brings an insight to that I think it gave this story some depth because it was about belonging. So we've written a little story that we hope is going to touch a lot of hearts. When were you initially led down the road of writing? 
Uh, that happened very young. I wrote my first story when I was eight years old. So I, I gave my story to my dad. I said, what do you think? Uh, dad was a teacher and he had a red pen and he marked it. And that was a shame. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he put red lines under all my spelling mistakes. That probably started me on the road of wanting to teach teachers how to make teaching of, the teaching of writing fun. Yeah. <laughs> And not traumatic, <laughs> and to put down that red pen and oh. just think of stories and and not worry about neatness and spelling. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Dad. Dad actually did something very good at the end of that. He wrote across the bottom, "How does it end?" Ah, I had no idea. I didn't know about planning at that stage. Yeah, oh, you were eight. Uh, I was eight. Yeah, I was eight exactly. Um, I know that now. I know what to do now. Uh, but yes, it, it all began for me when I was eight, and it hasn't stopped. stopped. Why write books for children? Oh, because children are marvellous, Paul. Children, children are—they wear their hearts on their sleeves so that you can see them. Mm. Their their worlds are immediate. They respond to everything that happens to them in the moment. Mm. They are emotional passionate little creatures, all born innocent. And as Tim Winton says, all born wild. Mm. And they are brutally honest. And if you want to know whether you're a good writer or not, write a story for a child. They'll tell you. Do you have to be able to think like a child to write for a child? Yes and no. Yeah. You do need to understand what their worlds are like. You also need to be a master of language, which is well beyond them. You need to be able to manipulate language and manipulate words, show them beauty. So you really do, you know, you need to be an actual writer mm. to write for children. But it is a whole different skill set because you need to know children as well. And you need to have a child alive inside you. And you mentioned Andy Griffiths earlier. Yeah. Mm. Child's alive inside him. Certainly <laughs> is, isn't it? He can tell, you know, the... The, the jokes that come out of his mouth are always about bottoms and farts and all the things <laughs> that children love. There is also a sense of social responsibility in creating content for children, and that's that's the same across all sort of artistic fields, whether it be you're creating TV programming for children, you're writing books, you're creating audiobooks for children, whatever you're doing, there is a great sense of social responsibility. What is it? Well, I... I'll answer that question by telling you what my friend uh, Norm Jorgensen says about my books. Norm says my books are worthy. Generally, people say that worthy books are award-winning books because they have that social responsibility. They're saying something important, whether it's my message about belonging or I, I have a book about quantum physics, mm. which is about making children love science. Mm. And I have a book coming out about maths, which is making children love maths. So, you know, my, my books do tend to have a purpose, mm. a higher purpose. But what Norm told me once was that he said my books also work as entertainment. Mm. So children want to read them. So you, you have a social responsibility to entertain, to instruct. So it's got that, that two-sided social responsibility to it. And of course, you know, books and literature, 
the more children who read, the more literate our society becomes and education is the answer to all of society's ills pretty much. If you had to pick one important message in a children's book, would it be education? Gosh. Yes. Children need to be able to express themselves. As I said earlier, they are they wear their hearts on their sleeves, their little balls of emotion. I, I read an article in the cover of the New Zealand Herald not long ago where they said that children are going to school these days unable to speak in sentences and, you know, swiping iPads. How can you have a real relationship with anyone if you can't express yourself? How can you... How can you question what's going on in the world around you if you can't express yourself? So, the over, yes, the overarching importance of what I do is to teach children to read, to write, to be able to express themselves. Have you ever walked into a bookstore and been horrified by some of the children's books <laughs> you've, you've seen on the shelves and picked them up and... Oh, <laughs> I have to be very careful how I respond to this one. I have indeed, Paul. Yeah. I have indeed. But what I'll do is I will very diplomatically uh, tell you about my own terrible book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when I was starting out, I wrote a book about uh, for a reading series, and it was about what makes you frightened. Mm. And it went across to the American market. Yeah. And, and the things in my story were witches and wizards, and the American market doesn't like that terribly much. Okay. And, um, yeah, it was called What Gives You Goosebumps. Okay. And they wanted it to be the American flag. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, the, the ideas behind the book just completely cra- clashed, and the book that came out was not good. Oh. So... What a shame. Yes. <laughs> so there's so many other different things at play, not necessarily, it's not always the author's fault necessarily. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> when they're starting out, it's not, no. There are a lot of pressures on you to write for different purposes, fill gaps in different markets. However, having said that, the reason I'm still doing this today is at a certain point, you have to be true to your your craft. Mm. And you have to ask yourself, why are you doing this? And and that's the only way to really be successful and never write those dreadful books again. I have friends who uh, who think being a children's author could be quite a lucrative and easy job. And it's a mistaken, I can see you rolling your eyes there. It's, <laughs> it's a bit of a mistaken uh, idea, isn't it? Um, it's just not the case. What do you say to them and, and how do you explain it? I say to them, think about why you want to write. Mm. And if you want to write for a very good reason, the money won't matter. What happens when you tell someone at uh, a dinner party or, or anywhere else uh, and they ask you, you what, what you do? What do you say? I tell them that I, I'm, I'm a writer and their ears prick up. They think I'm Tim Winton. Mm. Then I tell them I'm a children's writer and there's a sort of blankness that comes across their <laughs> faces. And and then I have to just rock on and Paul and just keep talking and <laughs> and about an hour later they want to be children's authors and they get it a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> I never mentioned the money. No. Have you ever thought about writing something longer? 
I have actually written something longer. I've got seven sports fiction novels that Hachette published back when my son Jack was in kindy. They were 60,000 word novels. Wow. I know. That's very different, isn't it? <laughs> very different. And I couldn't, I can't believe to this day that I wrote them when Jack was in kindy. Yeah. So I've, I've done those and each one of those was about a different sport. I do love my sport. Yeah. I've also, I wrote a, a picture book called Hello From Nowhere, mm. which is about... And that was really well received, wasn't it? It was. It, people loved that. Mm. They did. Yes. That was delightful. That was the good side of living out in the Nullarbor. That was all the wonder of the place, mm. writing about place again. Uh, but at the same time, I have a teenage novel, which is the dark side of life on the Nullarbor. Mm. And um, What's that called? Yeah, it's called Straight to Nowhere. Yeah. Work in progress. And a 13-year-old is taken by his Fremantle musician parents who are desperate to get a proper job um, to live at a roadhouse in the middle of nowhere. You know, they have no experience, so they've got to go somewhere no one else will go. You can probably yeah. see how that came from my real yeah, life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and about chapter eight in the story, they, they have to go out in the ambulance to pick up a backpacker who has been hit by a road train. Okay. Wow. And it's dark. Yeah. It's dark and grim. No beach houses there. No beach houses there. No. Look, I wrote horror stories when I was starting out, Paul. Yeah. Because it was goosebumps time, mm. you know? Mm. So I wrote expiry date, and a boy finds he has an expiry date on his forehead. I'm not the nice lady you think I am. I'm really not. Oh, look, it's just not being able to stop writing. I have to write about something. Why is that such a passion to keep on writing? Because there would have been times, and there certainly were in, you know, other authors' careers where they've gone, oh, what am I doing? Why do I keep, I feel like I'm, I'm whipping a dead horse. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's how I feel about my career sometimes. Yeah, no, I but, still feel that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, it's... It's an odd thing, but for me it's cathartic Yeah, to be sitting quietly, mm. being creative. I feel so blessed to be able to do it. Mm. It's my peace. And when I can't do it, I'm not a pleasant person to be around. <laughs> Did your parents support you on your journey to become a writer? And in two entirely different ways. Mm. Uh, my father, the educator having made that terrible mistake when I showed him my first manuscript, was magnificent. He, uh, he always knew that I had to do something creative. I met one of his pupils not long ago, and she told me that when she was in Prima 2, which is like year two or year one, he read aloud the tale of the ancient mariner. And she was an old lady, and she remembered that. My mother, mm. now mum's an English migrant. When we were growing up, we were in, living in South Auckland, which is the roughest part of Auckland, and my mother made me speak with an English accent. She wanted me to speak properly, like the Queen. Living in South Auckland amongst lots of Māori people and lots of Polynesian people who used to look at me and go, who do you think you are? <laughs> Uh, however, why are you putting on this accent? Why are you putting on this accent? However, 
my mother's passion for speaking properly translates into writing properly mm. as well. And she's a marvelous editor. Mm. She is a brutal, fab- you want your editor to be brutal, seriously. She edits my emails. I always find with my emails that I generally send one or two sentence emails with a full stop at the end because I've been trained in news broadcasting where a TV story, copywriting for TV news is a minute and 30 seconds or a minute and 15 seconds. So you have to fit an entire story into a minute and 15 seconds at three words a second. Oh, wow. You could be a children's author. <laughs> <laughs> because, no, no, seriously, I mean it, Paul, because uh, Hello From Nowhere, which is sitting in front of me right now, it has around 750 words. Mm. So if you're going to write a picture book, mm. you've got 750 words to play with and you have to paint the same picture with just those words that a novelist would paint with a hundred times that amount yeah. of words. So, and my mother would love you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so if that, that's the true, that's some powerful writing mm. there because you are peering things back to its bare essentials but without making it boring. It's still art. It's still, you're, you're choosing the right word Another part of writing for children, however, is also going to be the artwork that you choose to accompany the words, because it would be a bit sad with no artwork in a picture book. It would be, which makes it very hard to read a picture book on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you're going to write a picture book, Mm. Anybody listening to this right now who mm. has, because everybody's got a picture book in the drawer or they've got one in their heads that they haven't written yet. Yeah. Everybody, trust me. Um, so, people out there who want to write a picture book, you have got 750 words to play with around about. You've got to leave half the story out. Yeah. So, your illustrator tells half the story. And deciding what to leave out is the measure of a really good picture book writer. Um, so yes, you've got to leave half the half the story out. You've got about all picture books are thirty-two pages long. Yeah, they start on page four or five. They finish on thirty-two, which is a single page. Mm. You've got about 14 double spreads to play with. And you have to think about, only think about, what the illustrations might look like. But if you want to create some real art, you shouldn't tell the illustrator what you're thinking. Yeah. Because like all good collaborations, when one party starts dictating to the other, it kills the other's artistic instinct. Mm. So if you want your illustrator to bring magic to your words, you got to just shut up and let them do it. <laughs> <laughs> You've got four picture books coming out this year, don't you? Three or four? Uh, I've got these two. I've got another two in the pipeline. Yeah. 
Um, so well, we're not quite sure when they're going to come out. But. Well, uh, I have to say Rocky and Louis were supposed to be out in August, yeah. but our illustrator is a wonderful, wonderful Aboriginal man yeah. um, who has just done a book called The Sorry Day Book, Yeah, which is going to be quite something. His name is Dub Leffler, uh, but Dub's work is very intricate. It's exquisite. It's mm. absolutely beautiful. Uh, but he's asked for more time, and yeah, it's going to be out in January next year instead. So I can't rush good things. <sighs> yeah, keep telling me that, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Patience. What do you do to get into the zone of of writing? Is there any specific uh, thing that you do? I mean, generally, most radio broadcasters will do, you know, vocal warm ups. For me. I don't do writing warm-ups anymore. I make a cup of tea, pretty much. For me, it also has to happen at its own pace, like Dub's illustrations have to happen at their own pace. Yeah. There, there is a time mm. when you can write. Not the novel so much. The novel is the thing that I can pick up and write any time I want, whereas a picture book manuscript needs that spark, and you need to be in a whole different place. Once I start a picture book, I can't stop. So there will be days when I'll write all the time and then there'll be days when I'll go, okay, I'm going to go and edit the, the novel now. Do you write on a computer or, or handwrite? Or, I mean, I'm presuming you write on a laptop or at a computer. I do, but mm. not to start with. I know Tim Winton, pen and paper is really crucial to his process mm. and it is to mine too. Mm. Um, I need to be able to make a mess with a pen and paper. You can't make a mess with a computer. No. You press delete, it's gone. Mm. Editing, a, editing a longer manuscript, you can absolutely do that on a computer. But initially, pen and paper, and this is something I say when I visit schools to teachers, don't draft on a computer. Forget the spelling mistakes. Make a mess. Yeah. The only difference between me and their students is that I am messier than they are. I am braver than they are. I will cross more out than they will. And that's pretty much the only difference. So pen and paper is crucial to how I write and I, I would argue to how children write. I'm sure there are many great interesting books in the works and on the horizons, uh, but we'll have to talk about those in due course because we're out of time. But Raywin, thank you so much for joining me. It was an absolute pleasure, Paul. Thank you for having me. If you'd like to find out more about Raywin Kaisley's work, you can find her online at raywincaisley.com. That's all for this edition of In Conversation. My name's Paul Van Leeshout. If you liked this podcast, check out some of the other episodes available on SoundCloud and iTunes. In Conversation is a quarterly podcast of in-depth interviews with creatives.